All right, I'm excited for a two for two episode. Our two for two, as you remember, we invite a brave, bold guest on to share two of their best social impact ideas, ideas that are going to make the world better, that are not just about profit, but also purpose. So we invite these guests on, they come willing to share openly uh, with two great ideas and I respond with my two. So it's two V two, we score them. And in the end there will be a winner because I'm super competitive because I grew up with a lot of brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. Today, we have as a guest, Adam Sokloff, and he is a senior brand marketing guy looking for his next home. So he's out there in the hunt. Uh, and Adam, welcome on the show. Thank you so much. It's really great to be here, George. And I should note, you're helping me fulfill a bucket list item for me. Uh, every time I do dishes, I've long said to my wife, hey, I have this great idea for a podcast, and it's never actually materialized. So as a, as a runner-up or consolation prize or first step, I'm, I'm really happy to be on my first podcast appearance. <laughs> yeah, this, I love the, the ideation of this is like, almost could be one of the ideas like, what a podcast about coming up with podcast ideas for social good actually work. Like, yeah, sure. Um, you're welcome to use this episode to launch your own podcast, by the way. Please uh, take it and steal it. But um, you have to change it. You, have to, make it, you have to make it two. No, you have to three for three. Yeah, like, or I was going to say two and a half for two and a half because the whole mantra of this show is take the idea, steal it, run with it, make something good happen in the world because ideas are cheap. The only thing that matters for impact is execution. So because you had this idea, it doesn't mean it's unique to you. You are not a unique little snowflake. This idea exists in some way, shape, or form, but I want to thrash it and I want to start, Adam, with you and your first idea. What is it? I'm so glad you asked. So this idea, I have uh, spent the first 10 years of my nonprofit career, mostly working in jobs in midtown Manhattan. Half of my career roughly to date has been in journalism, half in brand marketing. And while I was walking from Penn Station over to my office, whichever office it was, you, you couldn't help but notice people on the street. It, it was unavoidable. And uh, the, the issue of homelessness, I think if you're reading the news about New York right now, like I am outside of New York, you're getting a lot of negative messaging around the issue of homelessness. And it's a challenge. And it was a challenge before COVID to encounter this on your day-to-day -day commute. Part of what makes it challenging is for whatever reason, uh, and there are many reasons that people don't have a home. I, I don't mean to paint them as a monolith. If you are on the street, you could be any age, you could be out of the job for any reason. Uh, sometimes it's related to mental illness. Sometimes it is not. Uh, sometimes you're just down on your luck. And uh, I think part of the challenge there is there are so many reasons why people are on the street. And ultimately, if you're thinking about what resources they have or lack, People's mind will go toward food, uh, insecurity, and also shelter, clearly. But hygiene and emotional support or, or social services uh, beyond that aren't always in the mix. And that was something that one time while I was passing by uh, someone who you, you can't, uh, you, in this case, you couldn't mistake the smell. 
Like they, they hadn't showered in a long time. This was a person who was not well and clearly could not direct themselves to some shower or, or something of the sort. And I said to myself, this is crazy. We're in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. There's got to be some brand that would want to get on board with helping with hygiene and resources for the homeless in a very public way. How is there not a, a shower stall in the middle of Midtown Manhattan when there are all these people on every block who don't have access to it? So that was the thought that came to mind. And when I was trying to think about a natural partner for this, my first thought was, what if we worked with, uh, I should also note that I'm a big aficionado of free stuff. I'm a travel deal hunter. I love free t-shirts. I, uh, I loved part of what Midtown Manhattan was when brands actually brought their wares outside of Macy's for big displays or activations or, or events of, the, of that ilk. And I saw an opportunity, like what if Unilever or, or some PNG or someone picked one of their brands that specialize in hygiene and, and actually set up a booth, slapped their logo on it, made a, a short video or documentary of what they're doing and how they're serving this community and this population and turned it into a storytelling and also social services and hygiene station or depot. So the first brand that came to mind was Axe. Uh, I think that's because when I was an insecure 10 to 14 year old uh, in summer camp, I was always spraying Axon. That was my first deodorant that I ever encountered because everyone else was using it. And I figured uh, Axe isn't a brand that's necessarily associated with charitable deeds. It's mostly associated with 10 to 14 year olds who are trying to make themselves smell good uh, uh, for the first time. and I, I figured maybe this could also be uh, a way for Axe to pivot um, into the, the social impact uh, realm. So that was the initial thought. Gotcha. So it's, a, it's like a, a shower play. And before I go too far, make sure you're holding your mic out because I am picking up a little tap, tap, taps. <laughs> yeah. So you know what? Okay. So I, thank you. I'll, uh, I'll hold it like this and hopefully yeah. that'll resolve it. It's probably the collar. Brilliant. So this is a shower play. So I have to bring up a public shower, amazing brand, uh, Lava May, and you know their work. I've seen them all over San Francisco, and they kind of have the like the pull up trailers, and they got the branding on it. And so like I gotta say, like immediately, like as you shop this around, um, you know the the brand partnership and ideas, like they're clearly the reaching out. I think Unilever, Unilever has some stuff there. Uh, you know, is this different than that, or how would you shape or build on that? Yeah, so I think true to your intro, it's one thing to have the idea. I'm very happy to have discovered while researching this within the last 24 hours in advance of the podcast. Uh, Unilever actually spun off an entire brand uh, called The Right to Shower. And the way that they structure it is in the first year, 100% of their profits, uh, it was started by uh, uh, Laura Fruitman, I believe is her name. I have no idea who she is. Uh, I noticed that the first year that they launched, which I believe was around 2019, so pretty recently, 100% of their profits went toward uh, supporting their nonprofit partners, Lava May being one of them. The, subsequently, I think now they've shifted to 30% revenue share with their nonprofit partners. I think that is a much more sustainable model. And I think, I, I don't know that I'm, I don't think I'm supposed to be grading my own idea, but I'll, I'll say that the, the piece to me that I'm stuck on is 
I, and maybe this just speaks to my own biases as, as a storyteller, I, the brand awareness issue. If you're reading the story about homelessness in New York City right now, it's not being told with empathy. Like the story is the streets are unsafe on the Upper West Side and anyone who's left in the city uh, because, uh, and I'm, I'm not one to talk, I've, I've up and gone and I'm not sure if or when we're returning. But I will say, if, if you're trying to, to connect on a human level, I think there's still a piece missing for me, uh, which is how do you also factor in the social services piece of it? So Lava May, if I understand correctly, they have a whole philosophy and they're even starting to scale across cities. I think they, did they start in the Bay Area? Do you know, George? Yeah, I, I believe so. Um, and I, I'll say, I, I will choose Lava May actually as the, the foundation, as the nonprofit you have to donate to should you lose the two for two. I accept. <laughs> Uh, but I'll still try. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, the 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 model of affordable showers and also just the the notion of hospitality, I think that's novel and I uh, it's not entirely new. I, I was reading about Detroit. I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, so not far from Detroit. I, I noticed that a number of churches are using this model, not necessarily partnering with a nonprofit partnership, but they're building their own trailers. They're using the remnant space that COVID has made available. Parking lots of large malls that are empty to actually use the real estate in public thoroughfare so that people will line up. Uh, the shower project in Detroit that I saw, and I forget which uh, church or parish it was, so I, I apologize in advance. I'm going to have to look that up after. We'll, we'll include a link maybe in the podcast. Uh, but I think the, the monthly cost for the trailer was 25000 a month, and it provided 21 showers a day, which seemed on the higher end, I think. If I remember correctly, also, the number of uh, chronically homeless people in Detroit, or maybe it was just this one neighborhood, was estimated at 2100 I think in San Francisco, it might have been 7000 or uh, So I, I can't exactly pinpoint the number, but we could use that as a frame of reference in terms of overall cost. And the piece that's still missing for me is, apart from the shower and apart from doing what Lava May does really well, which is layering on the notion of hospitality, anybody who, who comes in as a guest. When I was volunteering in a psych hospital in Jerusalem in 2005, a similar framework was in place. Like you're not just talking about a patient, you're talking about a, a guest or a client and, and somebody who is in need of care in the same way that you would want that if you were a guest at a hotel. So the, the, providing the dignity piece I think is really important, but to me, the, the missing link is there's also a, a specific subset of the homeless who are in need of greater care. Yeah, so let's talk through the, just fit, wrap this on the on the shower piece. So let's say we're, we're kicking around the, you know, your your creating some version of this, but maybe with more brand centric uh, buy-ins uh, on it to, to offset it. So like they're starting from maybe different mindsets. Yours would be probably more, sounds like brand sponsored, like that soap sponsored by this. And by the way, what they're also getting, now we move into impact, like we're giving showers. That's fantastic. Um, I do have to note on the impact side, right? The real problem here is housing and affordable housing. Like without a doubt, like a shower is not fixing our homeless problem. It is maybe helping a public health crisis that we also happen to be in a pandemic. So there's some upside there, I'd say. So, you know, good points on impact there. The viability, I think there is, uh, you know, there are legs here. If you're much more focused on like brand first, be like, look, we've got a giant trailer that's right in front of a lot of people. Remember when we used to go outside? So when that comes back, you could make it much more dynamic with brand sponsorship pieces. You make it a freaking digital board and be like, buy a spot on this place or sponsor product. Like you just go much more heavy into the advertising function because as you just mentioned, you know how expensive it is to be in Times Square? Very. But 
if suddenly you could buy a little bit of real estate there and commoditize that. I love that um, as a layer potential. So I'm sort of like pushing your idea a little bit more into an extreme just to differentiate from a lava man. Now, breadth and scalability. Um, I don't see this as scalable. It's just such a ground game, which doesn't mean bad things, but it's uh, on, you know, the depth side, right? So that that's okay. But to scale this, right, the number of, you know, public health showers necessary uh, is, as you mentioned, just like almost untenable in that sort of math. So in a way, uh, you know, I don't give great points on there. For the startup, how would you start this? What would be your first step to sort of enter into a marketplace that you already acknowledge there are players in, but by the way, we just identified the fact that it's not freaking scalable, which means there's room for more than one to go help people get showers, you know, like more the merrier, it seems like. So I wouldn't say it's disqualifying. So what would be your unique approach on the MVP here or first step? Yeah, I, I think as a first step, you know, in terms of the issue of scalability, uh, I, I would push back uh, just to better understand what piece feels unscalable. I think that one, again, a, a unique piece about the moment that we find ourselves in with COVID and everything that it's wrought. I, I think there's uh, opportunity to find partners and resources, and more importantly, uh, real estate to actually set some of these things up in larger cities or in places where you might not have had the physical space or inventory to actually provide this. I also wonder where you may be right is on a social services level, if you were to, to pair this with beyond just the hospitality piece. Uh, and actually provide additional services to the, the mentally ill or chronically homeless plus mentally ill. I think that's a harder lift. I don't know how you brand social services or specifically uh, mental wellness services. I think that that may be a heavier lift. So as far as the real estate goes, if I'm, if I'm trying to pull this together, I'm probably calling people within a hundred 20 mile radius who've been in construction and trying to figure out what sort of resources they have to maybe put some of their units in large spaces in New York, right? So it's, you, you, there are a lot of partners here. I don't know what Lava Maze uh, or a partner like that expertise is in local markets in terms of the navigating real estate, the, the pulling together of the units and where they get the resources from. They may have that down to a science, but if they didn't, that's where I start in terms of MVP is trying to figure out who has the space and who has the raw materials to actually put these showers together. I think the other challenge unique to COVID is, and I saw this in Detroit, they were paying minimum wage, uh, $15 an hour to have somebody be the, the facilitator um, and the operations lead on the ground, just making sure that things go smoothly, helping people uh, space out social distance wise. I don't know if those costs increase or if the process, I, I imagine everything takes longer if you're using a, a trailer with multiple shower units, right? In terms of hygiene and, and COVID specific concerns. So I would expect costs to increase and there to be additional considerations with the facilities, but I don't know that it's not scalable on a, on a raw material or resource level. So I, I'd be curious to, to hear your feedback on that piece. Oh, just conceptually, just, um, you know, the, the scalability function for giving the scale necessary for the volume of homelessness, uh, it requires of capital intensive. So it isn't Got it. sort of like going to scale indefinitely. Like you need every new shower. You just mentioned $15 an hour for one person to be like, man, you have a $25,000 unit that you probably have to roll out. And then by the way, that's only taking care of a tiny fraction. So if you do the math, you know, a million dollars is burned in a second um, on that. I don't consider that scalable. I think it's like a problem of scale. <laughs> um, yeah. 
I would, if you're considering this, I would actually go the opposite direction in terms of MVP. I would look at and talk to the people that make porta potties um, and say, what is the cheapest freaking way I could make a pop-up shower? I just want one shower freaking unit that's safe, hygienic, and able for me to like fold up. Can I pop-up tent this shit? Can I put a pop-up tent with a shower in it? And can I do that? And can I make three of those? And can I move them around? And then what I would do, which kind of like hints at what I've just changed my next idea to uh, will come later. But like, I would make the cheapest, safest shower humanly freaking possible and brand the shit out of those little shower tents is what I would approach. And then invite public services to, to anybody who wants to show up, be like, look, we got this stuff here. People are going to come for free things and I know exactly where they are. Alrighty. I am going to give this a score of four out of 10. I don't love it. Um, I like my angle slightly better at it, but I think it's already being done. So I'd probably push on them. Um, I do think there's opportunity in the brand. It did interest me on that side because I think they could get like, if you just like a, if you approach this as a marketer, it actually is like fascinating. Um, and I don't think they're doing that. They're not doing it, like approaching it as like you are like a branding opportunity. You're like, that's kind of interesting to me. So, uh, what score would you give yourself on the, on the shower? Ooh, uh, I clearly have not delivered and definitely not as well as the people who are already doing it. Uh, so uh, I'm not grading on originality here, but I will generously match your score of four. I think there's more legwork that I need to do there okay. uh, and we'll, we'll leave it there. But I also, I'm, I'm uh, excited to look up more about both Lava May and uh, the right to shower. Well, you may have a chance to donate to them. Alrighty. <laughs> I'm changing one of my ideas on the fly here because here's what I think. There are staying in the homelessness vein, uh, a lot of need. And I think there's a lot of on the ground work being done. I don't think there's enough in terms of affordable housing. I think that's the beginning, middle and end of it. I think cities need to respond. I think we need homes that are safe, that are secure, that are connected to social environments and social services. I think that is, that is the answer. Um, and we have enough land. Um, in terms of the United States, we are actually one of the lower densely populated uh, countries in the world because, frankly, there's a lot of freaking land here and we tend to have urban centers, urban focuses. The thought here, though, actually comes back to how do we help uh, groups like uh, Lava May or groups that are doing affordable housing or temporary housing or pop-up housing or the types of container work that you see out there where you can get a house up for uh, a fraction of a bid or sponsor these pieces. So what I'm seeing here is a classic problem of forest versus the trees meaning that individual tree, the story of an individual moves people far more than the plight of the masses, right? When you hear large numbers, 20% unemployment, when you hear there are literally millions of people that are living on the streets, it doesn't affect you. But when I talk about Jeremy, who actually is living on the streets because the family shelter doesn't allow men and it only allows his family there, like I have your freaking attention. So here's the problem. The storytelling is incredibly difficult and it takes time. Uh, and coming from this, I would actually create in similar, if people are familiar with like lead pages or these like pop-ups, you know, for Squarespace and like ready-made Wix templates, like these pieces. So it is a dev layer that allows people to like white label how they are having on the ground impact. And in a similar way, donors choose a FI their impact. So donors choose, fantastic, right? They allow teachers to go on there and submit what they need. So I would do a modify of that because I think that's way too hard because 
uh, it's just way too hard uh, to manage. And uh, what I would do is itemize all of your freaking projects and put them out there into this layer that lets people sort of pick and choose and sponsor projects. And like, yeah, it's somewhat itemizing and you'd have to be careful to be like in the fine print that like, yes, this is an itemized donation. However, it goes uh, portion of it to support the overall work here, but it allows people to quickly create this uh, wonderful map of saying, actually, I want to support people in this area. And like, and that's an area that we're working in. You can choose and have some options there. So it would open that up as a quick dev option, let you plug and play into the little bits and fund and then pipe into your Stripe or whatever payment system. Um, and you could have a, a mapped domain to it as well. So it would be a white label service that let, lets you just churn that out. But specifically, because I know there are some other out there you're going to look, uh, but specifically for issues of homelessness and how it's being addressed because the storytelling there is tough. Any questions on the concept? A few. First, it's an interesting idea just on a, on a tech level. The Anytime you're talking about storytelling, there's I once heard this from uh, Mark Rowan, the chair of uh, Apollo Global Management. I think he once said that uh, everything sort of boils down to content and distribution when you're looking at investing. On a distribution level, I think that what you're presenting really makes sense. I think that uh, so many nonprofits just struggle to, to tell stories in basic ways and, and to really evoke the emotional response that only a story about a human being like Jeremy in your example can. I think the question I still have is on a content level. Uh, when it comes to homelessness in particular, there's a certain sensitivity and a certain uh, question or certain questions that are raised about authenticity in, in telling individual stories. You know, I, I, and I'm just as much a hypocrite in this respect as, as anyone else. Like I, I came in guns out, guns blazing with my idea about, oh yeah, we should make a video. That was my initial idea with X uh, or my initial inclination as a storyteller. So I, I don't want to be opportunistic and I don't want other people's work to be misconstrued as such either. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, on the content level. You know, how do you tell stories of homelessness with, with dignity? But on the distribution side, I think I'm also curious, what is the unique value proposition of this uh, dev layer that you're describing relative to having various, uh, let's say, um, Google uh, optimize versions of your donate page, which mm -hmm. each tell a different story? Yeah. So let's just approach the sort of, uh, you know, misusing subjects for the purposes of fundraising, right? And your audience and how you treat them with respect. I love um, actually the work of invisiblepeople.tv is a phenomenal one to look at of how you have those conversations. And I'm actually, I'm going to abstract it back and I would push people toward a story narrative that doesn't exploit the people you're trying to help and actually focuses on the place. Now, what does that mean? That means the opportunity would be in my mind, like, there is a apartment. I have a subscription that I am making sure that that apartment is covered. There is one place in this freaking world that I know there's one family able to stay. I want to know that like my money was aimed at that. And by the way, that's an ongoing expense. In the same way that we're like able to itemize carbon neutral stuff being like, hey, by the way, you know, I'm able to say that whole whale very proudly is carbon neutral because I've accounted for it. Now, am I living space neutral? What does that mean? Does that mean I'm supporting a living space over there in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, where I had a friend growing up, right? Am I supporting a low-income house because it's supported by these services and I know that that house is being supported? Now, the tough thing here, again, is the, the authenticity, right, of, of what that looks like. But I need us to move to that because also um, there's a bit of waste going on as well, I think, in times where we're talking about what actually needs to happen and where money ends up going and in a give directly type of mindset. Like I wanna see those dollars go toward freaking brick, mortar, water, heat, 
and living. So I would subscribe to that. And I would argue once you're able to have that level of trust and then take a brand similar to the, you know, high order of branding and organizations that you know, to have that you need an underwrite maybe potentially, and then have that saying like, I'm going to subscribe monthly to supporting that freaking place because I get it. I've seen pictures of the wall. I don't want to see the people. I can see the place. Here's the freaking bathroom. Here's a kitchen. I'm like, okay, there's a place in this world I support. So that would be the story angle I would go for to be very careful. And I'm so happy you brought that up because it, it is a thorn in the narrative um, that's being told. So again, this is a tech stack. It's a layer and it lets you sort of plug play geo specific without giving away too much location information because you do have to abstract that because there are crazies out there. Um, but enough so that I know that I'm supporting a, a spot there and I'm, 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 housing, I'm housing neutral not not housing negative. Yeah, it's got legs. All right, let's talk about impact, viability, breadth and scale. Um, in terms of impact, uh, I don't know. I, I think it moves toward a solution-ish, but it, it relies on other people to do the work. So it, in and of itself, I, I hate the Silicon Valley, like, oh, just create a freaking website and you solve the world. It doesn't solve the world. It helps other people do the work and hopefully do a little better. Uh, viability, financially, it would work. I think there are many, many players out there for you know these donation tools and whatnot. Um, some kind of do this, but not. you have to be laser focused, I think, in, tame, in saying that. And then like, once you solve that, you can then move into like, all right, that was for homelessness. By the way, this is for fill in the blank. If you have that sort of place-based work. Um, and then breadth and scalability, you know, I, I think is a breadth function. It would help organizations uh, generally, but it probably wouldn't be accepted because it's a sales model. So you're actually not helping that many people. You end up with a depth of like helping like certain organizations quite a bit in their story narratives and arcs. All right. What are your thoughts on the impact viability? Any pieces to, to push around on that? In principle, I love the idea both of the viability as a, an opportunity for partnerships in big tech, also, I could see Airbnb or Salesforce or Squarespace or a number of players biting to, to make this dev layer come alive. I think it could also, in theory, simplify some of the production elements of once you have a good story, making it seem real and tangible. I, I've heard in every nonprofit environment that I've worked in, everyone just wants, where, but show me what I get for every dollar and what I'm actually doing and who I'm actually helping. And if you're able to hone in on that level, like you're describing in, in the publishing side, I think that's huge. I would say I still have questions on the content level and whether it actually makes life easier for the nonprofit trying to tell the story, because for every boardroom that asks that question, there's always the staff <laughs> have to produce it. And it really depends on the, the resources and, and scale of the existing cause or, or client, but with the right partner operating at the right scale, with the right level of sophistication around storytelling and, a good agency partner to make it come alive. I think it adds costs, but it, it could definitely happen. Yeah, I love your, he's always bringing in the brands, uh, the cause marketing <laughs> stuff. It's just freaking money on the table. You're right. And it's a dark, it's a kind of a blind spot for me because I'm just like, I grind it out. I'm like, if the thing doesn't make money, it's not going to be boosted, but you're absolutely right. It would accelerate it. Um, all right. So how I would start this, um, I think would be different, but I would build, uh, I build the MVP. We could build this for less than 10K, I'm sure. Um, but the better thing would be is to build a prototype just in uh, like sketch or something and pitch it and see if you could sell it to uh, an initial customer um, for like a, an overhaul of the donation page and story management um, system and, and sell it once. And, and then the cost of that would underwrite the building of the platform. That's how I would go about it. So I'd build it as a very, very lightweight sales uh, sketch mock-up and, and a landing page I'd throw together on like 
you know, website builder done. Um, and that, that would cost you less than 1K um, unless you're not a good designer and then you need to get some people involved. That's interesting and, and counterintuitive to how I've been trained to approach these things, which is always looking at the grant funding opportunities first. I, I feel like I would maybe look at a, a journalism partner and here I go again with the partnerships, right? But maybe yeah, uh, a journalism yeah. partnership or uh, someone like INN or Knight Foundation, see if there's legs, you know, see if this solves a story in another industry or solves a problem in another industry. Uh, which is the industry where storytelling also matters intensely. And if you're able to find a new module or a new uh, dev layer to tell a story, that could be an incredible boon for for multiple industries and populations at once. So I, my inclination is to start there. I love this. You think you think very differently. This is very helpful. Um, totally, totally. You know, you look at the same thing. And you're like, that's a pen. No way. That's uh, so, a paper. Right. But um, what I admire about your approach is it just gets done fast. <laughs> Oh, I'm such a grind. I'm such a grinded out. You have no clue. I just, I grind it out. All right. So score time. Uh, what score would you give this idea? Score one to 10. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a solid six here. I think that uh, it, it really has an opportunity to solve a lot of problems in a lot of industries, like I mentioned. And for that reason, I think you could find uh, partners relatively easily. I think I still have some open questions on the content level, but I think that really would be the case with, with any sort of tech stack or, or tech product that you're pitching. So uh, I'll, yeah. I'll- You're saying like the content that the customer would have to fill, you're like, they still have to do a lot yeah, of Yeah, there's still, still a big lift for them. Mm, and uh, that's, that's resource intensive on, on the nonprofit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like what Airbnb did literally because of that exact problem. Do you know the story? Uh, which was this? Airbnb. So when they were getting going, one of their issues was the content side, right? People that were listening to their homes took shitty pictures. Yes, I remember this. And so they sent the CEO, literally went out with like freaking cameras that let's do this. And like took pictures of it and like made the freaking difference. So maybe there's a little layer on or borrow from, you know, a little upsell service here where he's like, all right, let's get a local photographer, go in and let's, let's do this. So like that could supersize the idea um, because I just cheated and added that I'm giving myself a seven because <laughs> I stole part kidding. of your idea Did you? to add it. No, I'm just going to cheat. Um, you should know that you're welcome to cheat as well. It's for good though. You were the one okay. who always claimed that free parking was actually 600 in monopoly when you landed on it. All right. I have to pause here. You are not allowed to cheat Monopoly. <laughs> Monopoly is a religion. I, you know, I grew up with like nine brothers and sisters, like six and like in the, in the actual same age. And Monopoly was played nonstop throughout the day, several games a day. And you just no cheating. And if my sisters ever had even word that I would cheat it, like I would be run out on a rail and I am, I'm standing on my honor. I've won every time fair and square. So I respect that. I also leave room for house rules as a veteran of uh, the oh, Sabbath yeah. observant home where, uh, where on Shabbat you couldn't use electricity. So board games were your second destination after synagogue. So we also took uh, Monopoly pretty seriously. I was not the board flipper in the family, if I remember correctly, but I could be wrong. That's, that's good. And it's time to feed the whales with a quick ad about Whole Whale University. This is our best online content packaged in courses. We're talking SEO, content marketing, Google ad grants, cybersecurity, and tons of webinars and other templates for you to use. You can buy them individually or as an annual subscription. Uh, we really put our best work in here. And if you're interested in the topics in this podcast that we tend to cover, we go a mile deep with these courses. That's wholewhale.com slash university. All righty, next idea, you're up. 
Yeah, okay, so uh, this one I am much more optimistic about. I think there's a viable uh, market. It's totally a brand awareness uh, and storytelling play. And the context is I started my career in the nonprofit sector working for uh, a news uh, agency, JTA, Jewish Telegraphic Agency, kind of like the Jewish AP Reuters. My career sort of aligned with the golden era or the golden dawn of social media where, you know, remember when social media was just a fun place with a lot of free giveaways and contests and not as many trolls or disinformation uh, and you could actually get retweets every now and then. So when I was working for JTA, one thing that wasn't as popular, at least among the demographic that I was writing for, was LinkedIn. Uh, that platform just hadn't matured in the same way or wasn't being used in the same way as it is today. Today, I see LinkedIn doing for me and for other people what Twitter was doing 10 years ago. It was opening up yourself as a personal brand. It was opening up conversations and it was really connecting people in a profound way who otherwise might not have been connected. So LinkedIn as a platform, I find interesting uh, and social media as a concept, I find interesting. And in particular, the notion of having a professional profile is something that while walking my daughter to school one morning, we used to pass this uh, crossing guard. I've never met somebody who so consistently smiles and says good morning in New York City to anyone in my life. And this went on for a whole almost solid six months of just every day a smile from the same person. And you know it's a shame. I'm usually really good at this, but because we were briskly walking, I never got her name. And after COVID, I was walking, not my daughter to school, I, who knows where we were going, probably to get groceries in our undershirt. Uh, and she wasn't there anymore. And that's when it dawned on me. There are so many people out there for, and I had lost my job, not COVID related, but right before. And the job market looked a lot better then. So it was sort of a, a calculated risk. And I've spent a lot of time gritting up my profile and feel pretty confident about how it looks. And I, I don't know that I would ever find this person uh, this crossing guard on LinkedIn. And I don't think that, whether she did or didn't have a profile, you would never get the story of how much it meant for that person and the impact that that person had on myself, my kid, my wife, uh, when we're walking to school and just to have somebody who consistently smiles at you and says, hi, have a good day, high fives your kid, when that was not an issue. <laughs> and I, I just, I, it made me think about a lot of different people for whom the stakes are really high who don't have who don't have the opportunity to to create profiles for themselves particularly if you think about issues of immigration or uh, labor day labor migrant labor there's just a whole class and and subset of day laborers in this country who just don't have profiles don't have the resources or the time or and it's just not clear what the benefit is to them so my pitch having started my career at the dawn of social media where one of the fun features was the the glut of fake national holidays that were invented specifically for social media, I would like to propose a new national social media holiday called National Unprofiled Day. Uh, this holiday is all about honoring and raising awareness about people for whom the concept of a really nice profile is irrelevant and perhaps for the wrong reasons. Really get the entire society and the entire user base of 690 million LinkedIn accounts to realize and appreciate all the people who don't get the luxury of a profile and what that means to society and what that means in terms of inequality and issues of inequality and uh, the partnership opportunities apart from 
LinkedIn, hopefully being an obvious sponsor, uh, would actually, I think, be enormous uh, in terms of nonprofit partnerships and the opportunity to address on a lot of different social issues. You know, who is it that we don't elevate, whose stories we're not elevating on a very basic level of just being able to identify themselves or having the time or luxury to identify themselves in that way. Yeah, this is interesting. So, you know, just to push a bit further, I thought you were going to make this point, but you look at your own LinkedIn recommendations and I'm sure you've been hustling and getting some comments from previous bosses and things like that for many day laborers, which you end up when you're like the employee of the week or people give you feedback on the survey that calls you back for that person working in the call center or pieces like that. Those are data that are owned by the company. And should you leave the company, so too would those ratings in that relationship. They actually work to anonymize and commoditize the human being as an individual. And so what gets me excited is the opportunity to have that type of like kudos given. However, there is, you know, security elements and risks uh, when you put somebody's location um, in the world that I'm not smart enough to tell the unintended consequence. The only thing I know about that is that there's always an unintended consequence. And I'd want to make sure, uh, you know, you were careful about that type of piece so that, you know, where the, where there is good, there's also, um, unfortunately, people that are on the very front lines of having to tell a human who wanders into a Walmart that they have to wear a freaking mask being attacked. Now, does that person get a good review? Are they hawked down for this? So there's sometimes when anonymity plays to that advantage. So that is just like an initial piece. I love this. I want to be clear. I love this idea. I think it's fantastic. Uh, I don't know if LinkedIn's the place for it. I don't know if there's like an opportunity to say, hey, there's a decentralized resume support system that we have because you always have this thing and like, we're going to help you create your resume. And it actually back ends as a resume applicator. And it's like part of a recruiting system that already exists, but does it unselfishly um, and, and, and goes that route. Um, I have a friend who's doing this on uh, the veteran side, sort of vetting a wonderful list of uh, highly trained veterans that just need their experience crafted in a new way. And then bringing that to companies, I see some of that. Um, but I love the idea of a day. Like you're all about this big vision. I think that's spot freaking on. I think you're good on this. I think you're good on this on impact. I think there's real impact here. Um, as long as you're, you know, to that point, being careful about how it's being done at the local level and don't just bring that brush and assume that everyone should have, um, you know, their identity pushed out there. Um, I think there's high, high points on impact viability. I don't know how this makes money. I don't know how you do this. So to say a little bit more, does LinkedIn sponsor this day? Are we, what's the game? Cause you're not. Yeah, that's a good question. I first want to just appreciate the, the piece that you said about authenticity in storytelling. It goes back to my original critique of your previous idea. So uh, way to feed it back to me, but it's true. I don't know in every case that I would advocate for telling a story of somebody without their permission. But uh, I, I think generally idea still has legs on the raising awareness front that not everybody it has the luxury of a profile. As far as the, the viability piece, I think there's a reason why these national days have become so popular, oversaturated, uh, and, and in many cases forgotten or just not, uh, not elevating to the top anymore. I think though that when it comes to social issues, that's not the case. The national donut or rainbow sprinkle donut days are, are a dime a dozen. But I think right now there's so much focus on social issues, uh, especially issues related to inequality. And there are so many different lenses through which to consider it. 
for this particular issue. You touched upon a really good one. You know, I, I hadn't even considered the piece about people who work for tips. They're not making minimum wage. Job security has been pulled from under them right now during COVID. You know, they, they have no system of recommendation right now. I imagine they're struggling. It's a huge issue. I, I think that you can find a lot of different partners and a lot of sponsors. I think whether that's on the brands who are already tapped into social issues, let's say, um, whether it's, George, you've probably worked with more of these clients than I could probably name. Uh, but uh, it, again, I, I mentioned immigration as a vertical. I think uh, on the political level, you could probably find PAC sponsorship for this type of activity and people who want to associate their candidates uh, with, uh, with these brands or, or get their candidates out there something for various people or issues, especially in an election year. I don't know that we would pull this off before November of this year necessarily, but again, it's an annual thing, so it's renewable. Uh, and I think every year you would probably build on it. Similar to the way Giving Tuesday sort of emerged as that thing where uh, it wasn't just for one cause. I think there's a lot of different opportunities for partners to benefit from this, certainly. And on the sponsorship side, I think there are so many different beneficiaries that causes or, or brands rather are already tied to that they'll want to double down on that investment. So I, I don't have the specific uh, brands in mind. I know you're already trying to tear down the LinkedIn piece, but I, I'm going to stay firm with that. I feel like Microsoft has the pockets and is interested enough in the cause. So that's where I'm at. Nice. All right. So um, breath, certainly it is a broad idea. It would bring awareness and allow a lot of people to sort of chime in on it. You mentioned Giving Tuesday. The great thing there is no one really knows that that was actually 92nd Street. Why? They created it and then other people could use it. So you could make the judgment call for your underserved audience of whether or not the profile approach would work. And frankly, you're just driving users um, into LinkedIn, which frankly, they should acknowledge and be like, huh, let's do this. Um, and if you could put a little banner on it, you could have a, a way of centralizing the best practices, how to consider safety. Cause there is a layer there that you don't want just run roughshod on. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I see it as a nonprofit play. Um, how would you start this thing? I would go straight to the source. I would pitch it directly to LinkedIn and say, Hey, Anna, I think there is an opportunity here to bring a large percentage of, I don't know what percentage of 690 million users are based in the U S it's certainly not all of them. Cause that's more than the population, but it's a lot. And I would start there and say, focus this as what would, what would it take to raise awareness about the issue of people who don't have profiles? Gotcha. So you, you'd pitch it, roll it in, see what happens and see if you get traction. I would probably go about building a page, finding a fiscal sponsor. So like, this is a fast track, right? I would get a fiscal sponsor. I got a few friends. I know a couple nonprofits that actually offer this and they take, you know, 10% of funds raised um, as what happens. And so you get the infrastructure immediately uh, because I, would, I don't want to pitch this actually before I have the capacity to process it. Because if it's that, they're just going to take it and run with it. And the ideas are cheap, as I mentioned, but I want to have actually a footprint. So I would actually develop the SEO around this. I'd buy the domain. I would go through, get a fiscal sponsor. And that all in would cost me less than $1,000 um, to put in place. Then I'd push the pitch and say like, I, I'd bring some stakeholders together on it and be like, hey, what do we think? Um, try not to be like ownershipy over it and uh, build from there. But uh, I would just shove it into the world. Um, that's something someone could do overnight. Um, I like this idea. I, um, okay. I'm going to give it a high score. Uh, I think this is an eight. I believe something will actually happen wow. as a result of this. I'm at a solid eight or nine, uh, with, with this idea. 
I'll give you eight and a half. You're, you're way behind in points. You <laughs> needed that one. You needed the half point. All right. So, so far your shower idea, I got a four. We averaged a six and a half for my homeless marketplace, uh, layer dev stack, whatever you want to call it. And then uh, national unprofiled day. Um, okay. So I am going to launch into my idea. So, uh, my idea is as follows. You went with the unprofiled day. I'm going with the national don't profile me day. So what does this mean? We've had increases in public protests. And at the same time, the police have never had as much access to photo identification software. Uh, and it's only going to get higher. If you're not aware, I can take a picture of you and bring it to a police department and have you match to you. Yes, there are issues with this. Yes, the, uh, you know, the, the coverage of it is only going to increase. And here's the key here uh, that there is already a national uh, cybersecurity day um, put on by the, I'm going to make sure I don't mess this up, but it's a national cybersecurity alliance and that's staysafeonline.org. And they have a data privacy day about, you know, making sure that uh, they empower individuals to encourage businesses to respect privacy and safeguard data. Now, here's what I want as an action on a day of the don't profile me day is making it aware of the various ways and how intelligent it is for facial recognition to occur and then the various ways to disrupt it so there are tech out there that can image skew images you've pushed up and so making sure you do that even though the cat is already out of the bag there's enough data already been sucked up by some of these jerks to do um you know whatever imaging uh, analysis they need to so the other game is how do you for a day hide your face from everything that is sucking it in and what's this is going to do yeah, we're going to put on a mask, we're going to do new tech, we're going to see how it is working. And it is a day where you try to go undetected by freaking cameras, uh, because it's important as we grow as a technological society with higher amounts of government control, police control and oversight, that we are hyper aware of how freaking hard that is is. And so uh, that would be the day. You pick a day, uh, I would pitch somebody else in doing it, or I would run my own, uh, launch it, launch it for the chief, get my fiscal sponsor and see what happens. Uh, because I, I think uh, more needs to be done around it. And I think there are brand plays here where we'd have some products uh, as well, by the way, where it's like specific image skewing masks and pieces uh, that you could just sell or get affiliate marketing on and be like, hey, you're going to need one of these for the day. So I like the little co-branded play there uh, in terms of financial viability, breadth scalability. It's a national day. Uh, we need to find a funder, I think, to go big on it, unless we could find a corporate co-brand sponsor, probably on the product side, being like, hey, by the way, for a hundred grand, we're going to walk into cause marketing campaign and this is what we're going to do. So I, I think this is, uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, any questions on that one? Yeah, this is a big question. Uh, and one that I think, you're seeing play out in policy with, for example, the TikTok issue uh, and what data is being collected in general, I think. In All. There's no TikTok issue. All of your data is being hoovered up. If you look at and really study what's going on in the back end, they are pulling in so much data about you. So you've already lost national don't profile me day if you have TikTok on your phone as of right now that I'm talking about in August, 2020, because when we launched this, Microsoft may own this freaking thing and whatnot. So who knows? Yeah. So this is a question that I've had also. Uh, have we reached a point of no return when it comes to security and anonymity on, on the web? The fact that we're recording this on Zoom and my name is right next to my face, uh, AI can very quickly pick up my face and probably my kid's face who ran into the screen a moment ago. So I do like the idea of raising awareness about this issue. 
I think it's really important. Uh, my question is on a partnership level, do you think on an authenticity and partnership level, you're going to find a sponsor who will boldly say, yeah, sure, we believe in this enough that uh, we we won't be uncovered as having some association with gathering data in a way that is uh, actually furthering the anonymity cause. Apart from EFF, I guess, if, if that's, is that the right acronym? Oh, yeah. Um, the Electronic, Electronic Freedom, Freedom Foundation, Foundation yeah. or Frontier. Or... Front, yeah. So apart from EMF or, or Mozilla, uh, or, or I don't know who else, or DuckDuckGo. Dude, I should pitch this to Mozilla. I know Mozilla.org, they do, all, Mozilla Foundation is spot freaking on. I love their stuff. Yeah. Um, no, you're not going to get a, you know, a goddamn Facebook to do this. That's not how it's going to happen. Or somebody who is like a Infosys, whatever, hawking data for, for profit. No, th- what I'm talking about is like, this could be a freaking apparel play, right? Like Lululemon's like, oh yeah, people need fashionable masks. There's a whole mask game right now being just jumpstarted. And by the way, it's not necessarily going to go away. I think we're realizing like there can be upsides to masks, which is when you go protest, you can put a message on it. And by the way, you won't be, you know, taking a picture of or profiled instantly in batch. And then by the way, the secret police knock on your door two days later being like, gotcha. Right. We already do that for tickets and cars. We already do that. Photos taken. The police don't even be there. We're surveilled. We get something in the mail being like, gotcha. And you're like, yeah, I guess you did. Um, it gets a little bit more nerve wracking when it's you as an individual, not your freaking car being identified. So I, I think there is an apparel line and I would push maybe that. It's one of these things. I like ideas that are obviously inevitable. Like this is an inevitable thing. I don't know when, but this is inevitable. That's going to happen. So, so just, you know, be on that line. I don't think you get a sponsor right away. I think you hustle in the dark for a little while and don't quit your day job. Do you remember sometime around 10 years ago, there was that person that I forget what conference it was, if it was Comic-Con or if it was at South by somebody walked around with just one of those green full body Lycra suits before they were ubiquitous. And they just put a, they paper taped a QR code on themselves. And I wonder if what you're talking about with the masks offers a similar approach where maybe you have a, a message that is the equivalent of your, your, what's his name? Fox from V for Vendetta. Oh, Guy Fox? Guy Fox. You're, maybe this is your Guy Fox equivalent where everyone has some symbol in common that, that's on the mask. Yeah. So interesting concept, timely. I know there was recently some question about Apple, right, on the other side of the spectrum, you have people asking Apple to find some algorithms so that people can unlock their phones with facial recognition now that we're all in masks on the subway. So I don't know. I, I, you, may have, you may have a hard time getting uh, the people on board with the cause. Yeah, maybe. Alrighty. Um, I talked about how I would have started it, um, kind of similar to that play, Festival Sponsor, launch page, um, and then hustle for maybe a, a, a bigger sponsor. But you'd have to kind of blowfish play this a little bit. You have to seem bigger than you are. Um, so you'd want to have a pretty buttoned up uh, appearance and then some partners, and then you hit up sponsors. So you need to get a little momentum if you're actually going to get real money because uh, that's not going to work. Otherwise, we go your route, which is just get a foundation to be like, look, we're going to push on this and it's going to be for good. Alrighty. What score? Final idea. George, I like it a lot. <laughs> but in true monopoly <laughs> fashion, in true monopoly fashion, I am gonna do two things right now. Uh, I'm gonna give you a solid seven because I just think mine has a little bit more runway 
in terms of growth and in terms of long-term potential. And I am also going to say that wherever that puts us, I will definitely be giving a donation to Lava Mate today in honor of the fact that you uh, have, have made my podcast dreams come true. So thank you for, oh, for bringing me on the show. Yeah, the Don't Profile Me Day, um, I would have, I think it's viability is awesome. What I don't love about it is the sort of the type of impact that yours would have if it actually got going is phenomenal. Undeniably phenomenal, right? Because it has after effects that are more than just awareness. Like that's a human who now has a profile and has a place in the freaking internet, which if you can't be found, you don't exist in this economy. So, I mean, hands down, between the two days, your days wins. Uh, so I'll match you on the seven, uh, seven there. I hope people do this thing. I hope you reach out to us. Adam, as a final point here, what advice would you give social entrepreneurs or innovators trying to come up with these types of ideas? Yeah. And execute. I would say, uh, don't be like me. Uh, don't sit on that ax, uh, shower idea for so long that, uh, it's one thing to, to cheer people on. You know, I'm, I'm thrilled to have learned very recently uh, that somebody actually made this idea run and made it run in a, in a sustainable and viable way. And even more so than if I had tried to pull it together myself. Uh, but if you have that idea, I love this model that you're putting out there, George, which is just find people to share it with and be generous in spirit. Uh, really give people the platform to open source it and to, to run with your idea and collaborate with you. I think that the moment has really evolved. Uh, in my own career, when I was starting off, I had a couple of people from a network called Present Tense, which operates under a different name these days, uh, now Upstart Lab. But they were really behind me every step of the way with every crazy idea that I had and were always ready to open their black book to me. So I would, I would encourage that same model and generosity of spirit that, uh, that you're describing. All right. As always, resources can be found at wholewhale.com slash podcast. You can find Adam on the LinkedIn. Again, that's Adam Sokoloff, his last name, S-O-C-L-O-F. And you will find him if you search because he likes LinkedIn. True story. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com slash university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to Greg Thomas music.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 